In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. <coughs> Today we begin our second week of preparation for Great and Holy Lent. The name of this Mass is Sexagesima, a term again meaning 60 days, 60. We're roughly 60 days from celebrating Pascha after the Passover of our Lord Jesus Christ and His offering of Himself for us. And every year in the Sexagesima Mass, we're given the parable of the sower of the seeds from the Gospel of St. Luke in chapter 8. You just heard it chanted, but let's hear it again. Our Lord Jesus Christ tells a parable. He says that a sower of the seed, which happens to be our Lord Jesus Christ, the sower of the seed, he scatters seeds abroad, and some fell on a well-worn path. It says the wayside. That's like a major thoroughfare where a lot of feet would trample on it. The, the soil would be very hard and solid and compacted by those feet. And the birds of the air quickly stole the seed away. It couldn't even get into the soil. And some of the seed fell on rock, and because the seed could not receive the watering, it withered away. It never grew. He says, some seed fell among weeds and thorns which choked out the growth of life from the seed. And then there was the seed that fell on good soil. And the seed that fell on good soil produced a strong and great harvest. His disciples and all that were listening, they asked him, Lord, what does this mean? And so he actually explains this. He doesn't explain every parable. But this one he explains. And listen to what he says. He says, the soil that fell on the well-traveled path are those who hear the words of Christ, but it takes no root within them. And before they can even believe, Satan steals them of the words of life. And the seed that falls on rock are those who believe, they receive with joy, they believe it for a while. But at the next temptation or the next distraction that life throws at them, they throw the seed away for something else. And the seed that fell among thorns are those who were offered the life of Christ and they received it. But the cares and the worries and the anxieties, the very passions of this life, choke out the life of Christ within them and no fruit is born from the soil of their soul. And then there's the seed that falls on the good ground and these are those who receive Christ with gladness and they cultivate that great gift within them. Watering, churning up the soil of their soul. And what they find is a rich harvest of the nature of Christ. And out of their lives is born the very fruits of the life of Christ within them. The fruits of the Holy Spirit. That's the harvest that is born from them. And I tell you today that this parable, as much as it focuses on the one who is sowing the seed and the scattering of the seed. I mean, it's called the parable of the sower. It's equally, if not more, focused on the importance of the quality of the soil into which the seed is being sown by Christ. And that's what we're going to look at today. Because as we prepare to enter into Lent, remember what I said last week, Lent is a season that by spiritual disciplines, touched by great grace of God, Jesus leads us through Lent and the whole journey through Lent is Jesus leading us back to himself fully so that we may experience him so much more fully in our lives, the one who is our life and salvation. 
And as we prepare for Great Lent, we remember that Lent is a time where these spiritual tools, these spiritual gifts with grace, they're given to us to break up and till up the fallow ground that is within our souls. We're talking about soil in this parable. There's no greater parallel to this to understand this need for us to break up the fallow ground within our soul than to hear God speaking through the voice of his prophet Hosea. In Hosea in chapter 10, God speaks through Hosea, Hosea telling Israel, Sow for yourselves righteousness and reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. Now, what is in agriculture fallow ground? Fallow ground is any soil, any soil that can either not receive the seeds that are planted because it's too hard or a soil that's not healthy enough so it inhibits the seed that has been planted within ever growing and producing what it's supposed to produce. It is unhealthy soil, too hard, filled with weeds or thorns or various debris and rocks. It's any part spiritually for us of the soil in our soil in our soul that is not receptive to the growth of the seed of the great gift of Christ himself that he's planted within us by his Holy Spirit. That's our follow ground. The soil, therefore, both in agriculture and within our souls, it has to be churned up. It has to be cultivated, greatly tended to and cared for so that the soil will not only receive the seed, but that the seed can blossom into everything that God had given it to blossom within our lives. And today when we look into our souls, to look at the health of the soil therein, we want to look regarding one particular thing that will keep the soil hard and unhealthy. Because there are many things in our lives, there are many things that can make the soil of our soul not receptive to Christ and his growth within we want to look at one thing today. And that one thing comes from the very reason that God called his people Israel through Hosea to break up their fallow ground. In the first two verses of Hosea in chapter 10, God speaks these words through Hosea. Israel empties his vine. He brings forth fruit for himself. According to the multitude of his fruit, he has increased the altars. But according to the bounty of, this, of his land, they have embellished his sacred pillars. Their heart is divided, and now they are held guilty. St. Jerome sums up the reason for the hardness of Israel's heart when he says this, Israel had been in a time of being most blessed of God, but in their bounty and in their blessing, they forgot him. They departed him. And they erected many idols other than him to worship. What was making Israel's heart so hard? The soil in their soul so hard. Why was it infertile? Because they had given themselves over to idolatry. Idolatry is what we want to consider about our own lives today as we prepare to go through the season of Lent. And what is idolatry? Well, it's far more than simply the worship of another God, little g, that doesn't even exist. 
or may exist demonically, you see. It's far more than that. Let's start thinking about idolatry with the summary of the law that Jesus gave to us and Jesus gives to us in every liturgy when we gather together. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but the summary of the law does not say, love God with some of your hearts, with part of your soul, and maybe a quarter of your mind. That's not what he says, does it? It's very specific, the summary of the law. Love God with all your heart. All your soul, all your mind, in other words, your entire self. Idolatry, then, is divided love, divided affection, and divided devotion. When we love and we are devoted to something as much or more than God, we are hardening the soil of our souls with some form of idolatry. We're actively stifling and limiting the harvest of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We are effectively dousing the experience of Christ our King and all the fullness of the benefits of the kingdom in the eternal now, not just the eternal then. This is what we do when our devotions are divided, when our love is divided, and it is an idolatry in our lives. Idolatry is devoting ourselves in the way that we live, in our thought life, in our energies, devoting ourselves to something else more than devoting all of those things in our entire self to God. You want to know a great litmus test for all of us? <clears throat> I hate to say it, but this one kind of hammered me throughout this week. Now I get to hammer you. <laughs> I went through this already. I'll keep going through it. Great litmus test for idolatry. Look at your daily life and what you focus on. Look at what your energies are spent towards. Look at what your concerns and cares for each day of your life. Look at how we're living because how we live in our daily lives and what our thoughts and our actions are consumed with is going to show us very clearly that which we're truly devoted to. And that which we truly love in our lives and give ourselves over to. Let me give you a few examples of what can be idolatry in our lives. Because again, it's not just the worship of some other God, little g. It's the attentiveness to anything more than attending to the Lord our God. Let me just throw out a few to maybe churn up some things within you. The cares of this life, something Jesus even mentioned in the parable of the sower. The cares of this life can become idols to us. And what are the cares of this life? The fathers speak to the cares of this life as Jesus used them as the worries, the anxieties of all that's going on in our own personal lives. The worries and anxieties that are coming upon us we're experiencing because of everything disorderly that's happening in the world around us. The chaos around the ark of salvation. The things that cause us fears worries, concerns, and you and I know how we react to these things. Our first tendency to react to something that causes us worry or anxiety is to produce deeper anxiety by fueling the flame, by looking up all the information we can about whatever is disturbing us, trying to find a solution for ourselves, trying to find the solution for the world around us. And we gather up all of this stuff into ourselves. What's really happening? 
we're keeping our focus on the thing that's disturbing us. How can we come to peace if that which disturbs us has become an idol and we're consumed with it? It's the same principle that when all of the disciples were being rocked in the boat by the waves fearing death, when our Lord Jesus Christ had asked our Saint Peter to come out and walk with him, and he got out and said as his face was set upon Christ alone, he was above the circumstances that were causing him fear. But when the circumstances became his idol again, he set his, uh, his face toward all of the things that would distract him from Christ, he began to sink and drown again. The cares of this life, have, are they becoming idols, or are they idols to us? Here's one we might not think about very often. Our aspirations in this life can become idols. The things we, that we aspire to do, the things that we aspire to accomplish during this life, you are not hearing me say that aspirations in and of themselves are idolatry. But if our aspirations are being born from simply within our humanity, what we desire to do, a lot of times even our great aspirations can stem from our broken needs within us. You see, the reality is this. The true aspirations of the Christian, they're born in God himself. They're born from God himself, I should say. How is it that we grow in the appropriate aspirations that when we devote ourselves to God and to them, we find and discover the contentment that our souls are longing for? It's when we discover the aspirations for our life only by our offering ourselves to Christ, our worship of him and our fellowship with him in the daily. I can attest to this because half of my adulthood was spent in, in aspirations that I thought were from God, but I could never find contentment in them until I let him change my heart towards things. And then as I began to move towards the aspirations that he birthed in me, I discovered a contentment that I'd longed for all of that first half of my adulthood. Our aspirations, we can be consumed by things that are not of God and they can cause our discontent. And we know that all the passions in this life can become idols to us. The things we love more than God, the things we unhealthily crave. The fathers speak of the passions and those unhealthy cravings that do damage to the soul that we tend to move towards with all of our being and pursue. And we know those passions in our lives. And we need to be healed and delivered of those passions. That the true passions we have are the passions that stem from the nature and heart of Christ. All of these things I say are summed up in this. Idolatry is anything we're consumed with more than being consumed with the Lord our God. That is idolatry. And we need the light and the help of the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, to churn up these things within our soul so that we see what we may be worshiping even when we don't know it. Even when we don't know it. So let's go back to Isaiah for just a moment. As we talk about preparing for Lent and how Lent helps us to break up the follow ground that we're talking about today. Hosea said, sow for yourself righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your follow ground for it is time to seek the Lord. 
to break up the fallow ground and sow righteousness for ourselves. In Lent, we're given spiritual tools, like I said, accompanied by great grace in the wisdom of Christ for this action of breaking up the fallow ground. Our fasting, our increased prayer, our almsgiving, all seasoned with great grace and power, they till up the fallow ground within us. And this breaking up of the fallow ground, it unearths. Have you ever seen one of those giant tillers that rotates in the soil? You know, I've watched them before. And you see the soil that's going to be ready for the planting for the harvest. And these great machines with these sharp edges, they till, they churn, they go into the soil. And when they go into the soil, they dig down and they bring up. And they dig down and they bring up. And as they're doing that, all of a sudden what you couldn't see before is exposed on the surface. They didn't know. You didn't know what was underneath the soil. But as it got churned up by these machines, all of a sudden you saw why you could never plant anything in this. Shards of pottery, junk, debris, weeds, all of these things are being churned up. And when we work with the Holy Spirit in Lent through these disciplines, and the disciplines of all the prayers and the services, everything Christ offers us for this very work in our lives, we start to be able to see by the churning up of what's underneath. We start to see what's truly there with both the eyes and the heart of Christ towards those things. And then he gives us great grace. You see, it's blessedness to see what's under the hood, so to speak. It's blessedness to see what we could not see before. Because what we could not see has been killing us. And it has been ceasing and stopping and prohibiting our grand experience of our Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom. It's a blessed thing to break up the fallow ground and to see those things. Because then and only when we see them through his eyes and with his heart can we take them and say, Lord, please remove this from my life. Take it out of the soil. Take it out of the soil. And Hosea says something most interesting about when we do this. He says, sow for yourselves righteousness. But then the next statement is incredible. And reap in mercy. My friends, when our Lord aids us in churning up and breaking up the fallow ground. And we see those things and we mourn with a godly mourning over what we're being shown. Because we have his heart over these things. And we offer them to him. Don't you understand this is the life of repentance? The coming back to our true selves is at hand. And now that I see these things, I offer them to him. And what is it that I receive from him? The absolute experience of the most profound mercy that we can ever imagine. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap in the mercy of God. And I've got a final encouragement for you. The Lord Jesus Christ speaks himself. Of this breaking up the fallow ground, at least the process by which those who did agricultural work then, which was most of the society, would experience it. Our Lord Jesus Christ says in the Gospel of St. Matthew in 11, and we actually hear it in Mass, in the comfortable words, the invitation. Come to me. Come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden. Heavy laden with what? Weariness from the results of our idolatries. Come to me, those who you are burdened by this, and I will give you rest. And here's the agricultural term that he says. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in spirit and your souls will find rest. When Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, all those people knew exactly what he was talking about. You know what a yoke is? Two pieces of wood bent like this or a frame like this. And what they would do in that time, and these folks would know it, in order to plow the ground and pull the plow, the way that they would handle this plowing is that they would take the more mature, the more stronger beast of burden, and they would put it in one part of the yoke. And then they would take the youngling, the one that needs to be trained, that doesn't have the strength. And they would yoke the youngling to the one that was mightier. And then the plow would begin to move. But my friends, as the plow moved and the soil was turned up, the fallow ground was broken up, as the plow would move, which of the two is really doing the bulk of the work? The mightier beast. The more mature beast. Our Lord Jesus Christ is saying to us, not just for Lent, certainly in our preparations for Lent, but he's saying to us that during Lent, find rest as we break up the fallow ground by yoking yourself to me. I will turn up the ground. You will learn and I will teach you my ways. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.